0: Well, good morning. How's your summer going? Come on, is it so like by a show of hands, let's just ask this question real quick. How many of you would say this summer so far has been an epic, unbelievable, incredible summer? Raise your hand. All right, all right, a few of you. All right. How many of you would say this summer's been eh, it's been okay? How many of you would just say this summer has stunk? Anyone? Anyone out there? You know, what's interesting is uh, each and every one of us have a different definition of how we would decide what a successful summer would be, right? Like some of you would say, you know, a successful summer would be me going out and maybe uh, just vacationing all summer. How many of you would like to just take all summer off and vacation? How many think that, that would be success, Right. That would be amazing. I was telling Kasha this the other day. We were sitting there and we were soaking in some rays. And I said, I could do this my whole life. You know, like I could, I could literally just sit here and just take it in and all those things. And, and then you begin to realize, though, that really after time, what would happen is, is, is you would be like, no, nah, this is boring. The, no this isn't good enough, and uh, one of the beauties of Michigan is we actually have seasons, okay, and uh, our seasons are are wonderful, so right now it's an incredible season, but literally we were in prayer this morning praying over the gathering, and uh, I think it was Pastor Ron mentioned thanksgiving, and I just went oh, I'm so excited about Thanksgiving and not just the food but just I love the weather of thanksgiving I love like like the fall. I love apples. I love all those things. I do love to eat as well. Um, just all those wonderful things. And, and you would look at that, and, and each of us would define success in different ways. In fact, we're in this series right now called Letter to Leaders, and what we're looking at is these writings of Paul in the New Testament where he's writing to Timothy and Titus, and throughout these letters that he's written, he's actually trying to encourage them as young leaders. He's trying to challenge them in the faith. He's, he's trying to give direction to them in the midst of, of some messiness that is possibly going on in the churches that they're leading. In many ways, he's trying to help them to define what success is. In fact, how would you define success? Success. If if I was to sit down with you for coffee today and we were just to sit down and, and I asked you a simple question, what is success, how would you define it? Would you define it based upon things? Would you define it based upon like how many hours in the day you have to work or not have to work? Would you define it based upon your health? Would you define it based upon the things that you own? Would you define it based upon your satisfaction in life? How would you define success? The Webster Dictionary defines success in this way. It says, it's the fact of getting or achieving wealth, respect, or fame. For some of us, maybe those would be some of the definitions that you would say. If I, if I had more wealth, if I had achieved more wealth, then I'm successful. If I have more respect from my peers, then I'm successful. If I have fame, if I'm a celebrity, then I'm, I'm successful. But maybe for some of us, we would look at it and we go, no, maybe it's found in winning. I think of uh, one of the great coaches of, of basketball coaches of all time, John Wooden, and, and you think about him, and you think about, for him, he, he had success. I think it's 620 victories in 10 national championships. By all means, that would be considered successful based upon. Winning, He said success is this way. He said success is a peace of mind which is a direct result of self-satisfaction and knowing you did your best to become the best you are capable of becoming. I love it when we begin to realize that really the best you is the best you. Like if you'll just simply be okay with being you and you'll be okay with being the best version of you, then what can happen is, is you can actually experience success in, in the words of John Wooden, Or maybe for you, you would say it's not found necessarily in winning games. Maybe you would say it's found in creating. Thomas Edison, for 84 years of his life, actually had over 1,000 patents 1093 to be exact patents that he actually creations inventions moments that he actually patented during his life one of those that we would say is probably the most significant the most you know influential influential is the lights I mean, without Thomas Edison's invention of lights and filaments and, and finding the right one that wouldn't burn up, and he tried so many different filaments inside of there, but, but actually found one that could actually burn for a longer period of time, and we have our lights now. Today, he said it this way. He said success is 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration. Now think about that for a moment. For me, I'm one who loves the, the inspiration. It's, it's actually part of my personality. I tend to lead others around me through, through inspiration. I'm, I'm kind of this one who's like, come on, we could do it, we could take the ground. Come on, we're gonna win Adrian for Jesus. A lot of that is my personality. But what boils down to is, is it's not just this moment that actually makes it all happen. Many times it's the 99% that I actually put in, the things that I'm doing throughout the week that actually make the biggest difference. Which kind of leads to maybe for some of you would say success is found in persuasion. Winston Churchill said it this way. He said success is going from failure to failure without losing enthusiasm. How many of you have been through some failures? (laughs) Come on now. I know for me I've been through failures in my life and it's how I respond to those failures that really dictates much of how my life continues to go. Maybe it'd be for you like uh, Maya Angelou. Now she um She's, she's probably a name that many of you are maybe not as familiar with. She's an acclaimed author, songwriter, um, civil rights activist. She said it this way. She said, success is liking yourself, liking what you do, and liking how you do it. <laughs> I think for many of us, it is that moment of, do you even like yourself? Here at Bethany, we're all about loving God, loving people, and loving life. And I think in the church, in many regards, we're great at loving God, um, we're okay at loving people, but we stink at loving life. <laughs> we're, we're just like, it's like, no, just love life. Love who you are. Be happy with who you are. Be happy with who God has called you to be. Pastor Mike asked me last week, he said, hey, Pastor Brian, in between the gatherings, he said, is there anything that I could do to kind of change my message? And I know he was looking for critique and kind of looking for, you know, hey, I want to I deliver and do it just a phenomenal job, which he did do a phenomenal job last week. Come on now. But he asked me this question, is there anything that I could do? And I just said, Mike, just be you. Just be you. Because if you'll be you, God can be him. And the two of you guys together can do a great job. And if you would just be you, if you would just be who God's called you to be and, and actually believe that he actually has a purpose, believe that he actually has a plan for your life, believe that he's not just in heaven waiting for you to make some mistakes so he can smite you, but actually has good things in store for your life. Now, does that mean correction at times? Yes. How many of you are glad that God corrects you? <laughs> now, I know in the moment we don't like that, but it's good that he corrects us. Bill Gates said it this way. Now, Bill Gates would be someone who we would all say is successful. He's got money. He's got everything. He said it this way. He said, success is a lousy teacher. It seduces smart people into thinking they can't lose. I mean, success can be defined by so many of us in so many different ways. I mean, we would look at that Bill Gates. Saying, no, no, Bill Gates is successful. look at the cars he owns, the houses he owns, the vacations he takes, all this stuff. But it's not success is not based upon the stuff. Henry Ford said it this way of, of uh, Ford Motor Company. He said, coming together is the beginning, keeping together is progress, working together is success. See, he saw life differently. He saw that his life had to actually be successful when people came together to accomplish something. It's not just about you and your individual success. It's about what are you actually accomplishing together. Do you know what we could accomplish together, Bethany? It's more than just the relational connection every week. It's more than just coming into this. It is about what we can accomplish together that could actually change the world. And I'm not just saying, I I didn't say just Lenawee County. I'm saying change the world. You know, you you don't even know that there could possibly be the next Billy Graham. We'd probably look at Billy Graham and say he's successful. Probably led a few people to the Lord um, throughout his life. But Billy Graham, what if the next Billy Graham is sitting in our kids' ministry downstairs right now? What if, what if the impact that a, that a teacher or a leader would make on a young person's life, would we say that's successful? But many times we don't know about the, the, the teacher who poured into Billy Graham's life. We don't know about those moments, but it's, yet we look at Billy Graham and say, oh, he's successful, he is successful. But could the real success be because there was a team of people who helped raise up Billy Graham? help pour into Billy Graham's life John Maxwell says it this way he says the secret of success is determined by your daily agenda (laughs) what he's talking about is every day you and I waking up and saying you know what today I'm gonna actually have an agenda that's actually gonna be about making a difference in the kingdom one of the things I love about vacation is that I normally don't have an agenda come on now but yet this past vacation, I had an agenda, and my agenda was this, is I wanted to relax, and two, I wanted to be a learner. I, I, I love to learn. I, I love to take in, and so when we were on vacation, I read six books on vacation. And um, I just, and I can't tell you the amount of other stuff I've been digesting since then. Right now, for some reason, I, my, my learning has just been turned on to where I'm just devouring material like crazy right now. And I'm just like taking in, taking in, taking in, taking in. The problem with sometimes taking in so much, though, is that I have to determine who I'm actually going to be mentored by. Because right now, I'm being mentored by like 10 people, so I'm a little schizophrenic, honestly. <laughs> Because I'm like, oh, yeah, this, this, yeah, yeah, yeah. And my personality can tend to be one like that. And so I've been taking in a lot of success to different pieces in there. And so it's like, oh, I need to be successful in this. Oh, I need to. And Kasha is just bearing with me right now. She's being really patient and being great. Because what she's understanding in me is that God is birthing and stirring some things inside of me. And it's in the midst of those where I'm being challenged to be a better me. I don't want to be anyone else. I just want to be me. I believe God has a plan and purpose for my life. And so how that happens is when I remain teachable. When I remain a person who's constantly relearning. In this series we've been in, Paul is writing to Timothy, his spiritual son. He's writing to Titus, one of his spiritual sons, who are young, they're gifted, they're talented, they have everything going for them, and yet they find themselves in the ministry of leading people. And when you lead other people, it gets messy. And inside of leading other people, you begin to question and you begin to wonder, is this who I'm called to do and, and to be? And, and yet in the midst of all that, what Paul is trying to help Timothy and Titus understand is, yes, there's an order to the service. Yeah, yes, there's a, there is doctrinal correction that needs to be taking place. Yes, there are, there are qualifications for those who you're going to put in leadership. He's, he's addressing all these things. But ultimately, he's saying to Timothy and Titus, you have got to remain teachable. If you are not going to remain teachable, what will happen is is you will not be able to influence the lives of those who are around you because you'll say, I've got it all together. I've got it all figured out. Oh, I don't need Paul. Come on, Paul. Don't you know I'm, I'm leading the church here in Ephesus? Timothy could have said, Paul, you don't know what you're talking about. You're in chains. Come on, buddy. I don't want to follow your example. You're in chains in prison right now for your faith. I'm leading the church over here in Ephesus. But instead of pride arising in his heart, what he does is he remains teachable. And Timothy begins to receive these words from the Apostle Paul. In fact, if you have your Bibles, if you could open up to 1 Timothy. We're going to kind of be flipping throughout 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy and Titus. We'll be kind of going all over the place. But 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 through 14 is where I want to start. It'll be up on the screen as well for you says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. So right off the bat, Paul is signifying and letting Timothy know, listen, my relationship with Christ is the very thing that gives me the authority, the very thing that allows me to stand here and to actually write these words to you because of what God has done inside of me, it's all because of Christ, it's all because of what he's done in my life, that he has judged me faithful and appointed me to his service. He goes, though formerly, though, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. What what is he saying? He's saying, listen, though prior to this, I was actually an enemy of Christ. I wasn't living for Christ, I was one who persecuted, I was one who was intolerant, I I was one who blasphemed. But then he says this, he says, but I, I received mercy because I acted what? Ignorantly in my unbelief. And the grace of the Lord overflowed with me with faith and love that are in what? In Christ Jesus. See, the key is Jesus. The key is Jesus being center of our lives. The key is is that Jesus redeems you from that broken, jacked up, messed up past. Come on now. Now listen, maybe you weren't a persecutor or a blasphemer of the faith, but how many of you would say, man, you know what, I was a broken person before I came to Christ. But in that moment of coming to Christ, he restored the brokenness of my life. Verse 15, he says this, he says, the saying... Is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost he's constantly reminding Timothy listen it is about Jesus it is about what Christ has done in my life what Christ is doing in your life he says but I receive mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience Oh, what, what is Paul saying to Timothy? Hey, I ain't got it all together. Praise God that Jesus is patient with me. He displays his patience in me as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. See, sometimes the enemy comes in and the enemy wants you to begin thinking you gotta have it all together and if you don't have it all together then you should not be showing your life as an example. Can I just tell you, be the best you who's actually surrendered to Christ and what will happen is, is you'll be an example to others of what it means to have Christ living inside of you and patience dwelling inside of you and, and what God will show is he'll show his patience in you. What Paul is declaring to Timothy is is he's saying, listen, Timothy, Basically, you've got to understand something. In the midst of God's patience towards me, I had to relearn who I was. I had to relearn through correction. I had to relearn through what he was doing inside of my life. Basically, Paul was telling Timothy, I had to redefine success. I had to redefine what success was all about. See, Jesus has always seen success as differently. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus shows us what success is. He says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Cross, an instrument of torture, of pain. Take that up every day. Follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. These do not sound like the success principles of those who are teaching right now. If you'll lose it, then he'll give it to you. Like, that's not what we hear out there. It's always like, take it. You can do it. Be the best you. And here's the thing. You can be the best you in Christ. But if you try to be the best you without Christ, you'll fail every time. You can do it for a period of time. You can be self-disciplined for a period of time. But eventually, what will happen is, is you'll fail. And in that fail, you'll go, oh man, is this defining me? And you'll need someone to come in and pick you back up and say, "No, oh, no, you could do it, you could do it, you can do it. So why does all this success material that's out there have to keep feeding on success material? It's because there's a false hope that's being delivered in that. But can I tell you, we don't throw all that out with, you know, just throw that out. We actually should take that and say, you know what, that success idea idea in Christ actually completes us in a way where we can have success in him to where we can be the overcomer he actually says you are more than an overcomer in Christ Jesus our Lord it's always been the key is that it's in Christ it says for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself what is it what does it profit you if you gain all the success all the riches but yet lose your soul Nothing, because one day you'll stand before God and you'll answer, and he's not gonna say, how much money do you have in your bank account? How much stuff did you have? How much success? How much fame? How many Instagram followers did you have? He's not concerned about those things. What he's concerned about is the condition of your soul, but I'm so tired of those people who are saying the condition of my soul matters being those who walk around and say that we're not called to success. God has called you to success. I believe that. I believe his word talks about it. He says he shall supply all of our needs according to his riches in glory. It doesn't say according to just a little bit he has. It talks about the riches of the goodness of who God is. I believe God's people should be walking around, should be the most successful in our jobs, most successful in our, in our marriages, the most successful in our families. We should be the most successful fathers, the most successful mothers. But here's the thing. How do you define your success will determine whether you feel like you're su- su- successful or not. So if Jesus is defining success here as someone who loses it and then yet gains everything, how do you and I then lose or deny ourselves? It's found, I believe, in being teachable. It's found in being willing to relearn. It's found in, in thinking a, a different way. It's, it's, it's having an abundance mindset rather than a scarcity mindset. As you follow Christ, what happens is, is you begin to constantly relearn things that you thought you knew. For me, I'm reading six books and I read these six books, not because it was like, well, man, I got it all together. I've been in ministry long enough. No, it's because constantly inside of my spirit, I'm like, you know what? I want to constantly be relearning. I want to constantly be someone who's taking in. A good friend of mine, Matt Keller, author of um, The Key to Everything, said this about teachability. So teachability is defined as a willingness to relearn what you think you already know. Here's the question. Are you willing to relearn what you already think you know? Some of you have been serving Jesus a long time. You've got a lot of ways of how you think church should be, how you should grow in your relationship with Christ, how other people around you should be doing it. And my question is, is are you relearning Now listen, I understand it feels like things are changing all the time, especially in regards to technology. But instead of pushing back on technology, why not just start learning it? Why not just start spending time in it and start realizing, man, look what technology can do. I can get on Facebook right now and can complain and everyone in the entire world can hear my complaint. Or I can get on Facebook and I can put life-giving things out there and everyone in the world can see my life-giving comments. I think sometimes we forget the the impact of social media. Like we forget that no one would walk into church this Sunday and go, Life sucks! (laughs) But yet we'll get on to Facebook and we'll put, Life sucks today! And it's like, what? Are you serious? And then people are like, I don't want to follow them. Of course they don't want to follow you. Our mission is simple, to bring people one step closer by loving God, loving people, and loving life. And listen, that mission, though clarified right now, has really been the mission of our church for 75 years. And and here's what I just said, our church, because I'm a part of that. I know some of you are like, you weren't here in the early days, Pastor Brian. Well, guess what? None of us were here in the early, early days. Because at one point in time, this whole thing called Bethany was God's dream before it was ever Sister Annabelle's dream. And from the beginning of time, he knew who would be a part of this dream and be a part of this vision. It's our dream. It's what we are all a part of. Our dream of loving God, loving people, and loving life. For 75 years, it's been a part of what we've been doing is creating steps for kids, creating steps for students. People talk about the bus ministry all the time. Oh, it was amazing, the bus ministry. Remember when it was so great? And I'm like, yes. And guess what? We have a brand new kids' area downstairs. And in that whole lower level down there, kids are encountering Jesus. And kids are saying, you know what? most fun I've ever had and you know what how that happens it's because there are people who are down there serving week after week and who are saying you know what? I'm gonna pour my heart into the next generation because my calling and who God has called me to be is not just to keep it to myself but it's actually to give it away our values are simple we take steps together we love authentically we invest in the next we live generously we create unforgettable experiences we share our story we're fearless leaders now think about that for a minute. We are fearless leaders. I'm going so fast, you can't even keep up upstairs. <laughs> so we have fun. We execute with excellence. We're aware. We relearn. We love others. We we encourage. We serve, and we're spirit led. Why? Because we're fearless. Come on, look at your neighbor right now and say, "You're fearless." Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to say it to yourself now, because you can say it over other people and say, You're fearless. But I want you to say to yourself right now, Say, I'm fearless. Do you really believe that? Are you someone who's constantly looking at it? And here's what I love so much about this acronym here. If you could put it back up there one more time, Shay. Um, The thing I love so much about it is this is like throughout the week, I hope that you're sitting there going, Am I having fun? Am I executing with excellence in my workplace, and my marriage, and my kids? Am I aware of what's happening around me? Am I, am I seeing the needs that are going on? Am I constantly relearning? That's what we're going to unpack today. Am I constantly loving others? Am I, am I looking for ways to love? Today I got a sunshine packet from, from uh, the Bills. And so uh, Devin comes up and Maddie comes up. and They're like, here, we just want to put a little sunshine in your life and gives this little package and everything. I'm like, yes, yes, I love that. Now, I can't eat most of the things that are in there because they're sugar. But you know what? I love it. Because why? Because it's going to bring some sunshine into my life. And because I'm going to give all that candy to my boys. (laughs) Or maybe I won't give it to my boys. Maybe I'll give it to your kids. (laughs) So they'll be all pumped up and hyped up. But we encourage each other. We're serving one another. We're spirit-led. Think about that. Like throughout the week, my prayer is that you would always be saying, man, how can I be fearless? How how can I be fearless in my life? How can I be fearless in my workplace? I promise you, if you would take this and apply it into your workplace, you would see promotions, you would see raises. There's no doubt in my mind. Just these principles right here. Because if your boss begins seeing you, having fun, you're adding energy and life to the environments that are around you, you know one of the things I love the most? You go into a place like Walmart or something, you got that one checker, you know, they're checking you out. They're like, what's up? How you doing? Doesn't that, they're contagious. The one who sits there and is like. you try to talk to them. They're like, how you doing today? And they're like, been better. <laughs> really, what's wrong? I live in Adrian. Hmm. <laughs> Man, anything I can pray with you about? Nope, not today. Yesterday you could have, but not today. (laughs) It's like, come on, let's not be those type of people. Let's be the people who are fun. Let's be the people who are energetic. Let's be the people who are encouraging, who are aware. I mean, I could talk about all these things forever, but here's, let me get into this because I really feel like if we can grab a hold of this one, this could be the key to the whole fearless thing. If you would be willing to relearn in fact, to, let's just put it this way, to relearn is actually this, is to learn something again. Now, I know a lot of you are like, I already know this. No, 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 you, you've got to be willing to learn it again. Like, you did a whole series on it, you gave us a book and all these things, key to everything, we understand, Pastor Brian, I got it, Teachability. The willingness to relearn that which you already think you know. Listen, some of you as husbands think you got it all figured out and you need to be willing to relearn again how to be a better husband. I'm not saying you're not a good husband now. I'm just saying you got to be willing to relearn again. I'm not saying that you're not a good employee I'm not saying that you're not great at what you do. I'm just saying are you willing to relearn? I'm constantly in my own life applying this why? Is it because for me there is this hunger and this desire to constantly become better and be who God has called me to be. I want to be the best Brian Henley. I can't be you. I can't be Pastor Mike. Pastor Mike is a small guy. He's strong his arms like if you've ever asked him to you know make a muscle he's his arms are ripped out he never works out it makes me sick he can eat whatever he wants I cannot I limit my calories to a certain amount that's why I'm losing weight everyone's like how are you losing weight pastor Brian if you knew what I had to go through to get this weight off and but here's here's the question are you willing to do what it takes Are you willing to relearn? Are you willing to look at your life and say, you know what? Okay, I need to learn something again. I need to learn how to take care of this. I need to learn how to say no to certain things in my life. How are you defining success? And so let me give you three keys that I believe are all throughout Timothy and Titus. So first and second Timothy and throughout Titus, these three keys, if you're writing them down, write this first one down. It's this. the first key is, is that you need to relearn identity. Are you willing to relearn your identity and who you are in Christ? Who God says you are. See, some of you got some stinking thinking. Some of us have developed some bad habits of what we think our identity is. Some Some of us think that our relationship with God is more like he's trying to smite us and waiting for us to do something wrong. Some of us don't trust that relationship with God. I think for many of us, this idea of relearning identity really starts with us conquering pride. I think pride comes up all the time, and it's the one thing that keeps us from not being teachable and not being willing to relearn. Our pride comes in and says, I got this together. No one can tell me. Pastor Brian, you can't tell me. You look at your wife, and you're like you don't know what you're talking about you're looking at others in your workplace and you're like you don't know my story you don't know what's going on and that pride begins to rise up inside of us and and here's the thing pride will take people out every time it'll take you out in your marriage people be like I don't need help in my marriage that's pride I don't need help in my health that's pride I don't need help in my spirituality. I don't need the church. I don't have to gather together at the church. Ever heard someone say that? I don't need to gather together at the church. I, can, I, I am the church. I can meet together in my home every morning like I do, and I have my devotion time with the Lord, and me and Jesus are good, and so I don't need the church. I've heard people say that. You know what that is? It's pride. I don't need anyone else. It's pride. Pride is what caused a third of heaven to fall out. <laughs> Pride pride's the very thing that took Satan out. Like he was he was a lead worshiper. Come on, he was an, he was he was a lead worshiper. Angel, like I mean, like like he was he was he was second under God, but yet what happened? Pride rose up inside of him. He wanted God's position. He wanted that, he lost his identity, and in losing his identity, what happened was he lost everything. Pride says, I got this, I'm amazing. Pride says, I got this, I'm talented. But your talent and your pride will only, or your talent and your gifts will only get you so far. Paul had to let go of his pride. That's one of the things that he's telling Timothy and, and telling Titus. He's like, listen guys, like I, I I was that guy. I was prideful. My name was Saul. I was the guy going around killing the the Christians. I was the one going around persecuting. I I was the one who had the heritage. I was the Hebrew of Hebrews. I was the one who had the pure lineage. I was a part of the elite tribe of Benjamin. I, I was the one who was a part of the strict Pharisee. I mean, like the legalism, the group I was a part of, man, like you couldn't get in that unless you were like you were up there. I was the persecutor of the church. I lived a blameless life. He's saying all these different things, but yet Paul came to a moment where he recognized the pride that had risen up inside of himself, and he realized that that pride was destroying his life, and literally he was destroying the very thing that was coming to set him free from his pride. See, in order to become fearless, we've got to be willing to relearn that which we already know. Paul had to release his pride. And so he writes to Titus this reminder. Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3 verse 3 says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and in envy, hated by others, and hating one another. What's he saying? He's like, man, we were broken. We, we, We... we had allowed pride in things to enter into our lives, but he said, but then the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. Thank God for that. He saved us, not because of the works. So he's immediately addressing, listen, this isn't something you can earn. This isn't something that if you'll just do it so many times, it'll somehow happen. He's like, no, 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 this is something that's been freely given to you. It's not because of works by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, the mercy of the Father, by the washing and the regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say, whom he poured out on us richly, through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we may become what? heirs according to the hope of the eternal life. Listen, your identity that you have to relearn and you have to constantly be reminding yourself is is you are a part of the family of God. I can't tell you how many days i got to wake up in the morning and relearn that again. Brian, you are a son of the king. You are a part of the king's family. Brian, say no to those things because that will destroy your life. You are different. You have been set apart. I know culture says this. I know culture says grab this. But Brian, you're Different. Why? Because your identity and your identity and my identity is found in Christ. And because it's found in Christ, we di- we're different. Be okay with being different. Be okay with, with walking differently, acting differently. Be okay with talking differently. Relearn your identity. Remember, you are an heir in Christ. Your identity is not found in what you do, what you accomplish, or what you define as success. Your identity is found in Christ. I said this the first week when I was sharing. I said, character trumps talent every time. Listen, your character will trump your talent every time. Who you are, how you respond is going to trump your talent every time. You have a bad talent or a bad character, that character will come out. 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 says, prove all things, hold fast to that which is good, and then what does it say? Abstain from all appearance of evil. Now think about that. I know for some of us like I have freedom in Christ. I can go do whatever I want to do. What we are being reminded of is to abstain from the appearance of evil, even. Paul says it this way to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4:12. He says, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example. In speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. What does he remind in Timothy? He's like, listen, you, what you say and do matters. What you do and say matters. Your identity that you're having to relearn is key. So relearn your identity. Here's the second key relearn correction. Ah, oh, nah. No one likes this one, do we? Correction. If I look at your neighbor right now and say, I don't like this one. Come on, because who likes relearning correction? I know I didn't. When I was a a young man, I did not like relearning correction. When I I got found out, it was like, ooh. Yesterday, some circumstances went down in the Henley household. I found out something was going on with one of my boys, and... um, I'll, I'll keep it, you know, anonymous today, today, but found out something was going on with my boy, and I just handled it a certain way, and at the end of it um, I was texting to somebody that he wasn't supposed to be texting to, and uh, I just said to him, I said, hey listen, my disappointment is not at all in you, my disappointment is just in my son, and he has to relearn correction. He's got to relearn something in his life, and it wasn't Gabe, so I'm just telling you, um, <laughs> just trying to keep it anonymous there. And uh, so I, I couldn't help but I looked down and he had these puppy dog eyes in his face like, dad, tell him it's not me. And uh, well, how do we relearn correction? Second Timothy chapter three, verse 16 says this, all scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. Ooh, Paul, why'd you have to say that? All scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for what for teaching for reproof for correction for training see you can need to relearn your identity but we also got to relearn correction it goes on to say that the man of god may be what complete it says complete and equipped for every good work that you and I are to be complete and equip for every good work. God's word brings about correction in our lives. Titus two fifteen says it this way. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. If you look back in there, it's like, okay, well, then what are the things that we're being told to declare? What are the things that we're being told to exhort and to rebuke? What are, what are those things? Well, he says it. Verse two, older men are to be sober-minded. It's interesting how Paul told Timothy, address the older men. Why? Because it's almost like he knew that older men would somehow, as they went on in life, would begin to stop relearning. Because they would go, oh, I got it all together. Come on, I put my time in. I'm 60 years old. Do you know how much gray hair and wisdom I have gained through the years? Yes, you have. But are you willing to consistently still relearn? I was listening to a podcast yesterday and the person said on there, they said, you know what, I have someone in my life who's 90 years old and they right now are some of the most creative and most impactful person that I have in my life right now. They're constantly feeding me at 90 years old. Listen, come on, it does not stop. You don't somehow get to retirement. Oh, I'm done, (laughs) I'm retired now. It doesn't work that way. You gotta constantly be relearning. And I believe that's why he's addressing it. He says, be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Then he goes on to address the women. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders, or slaves to too much wine. Come on, ladies, stay away from the bottle. (laughs) They are to... They are to teach what is good and so train young women to love their husbands and children to be what? Self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. And then, just so the young people don't think that you get off, verse 6, likewise urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Come on, fellas. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. What is Paul trying to do? Paul is trying to bring about correction through his letters and he's trying to say, listen, you have got to be willing to relearn correction. Old, young, relearn it. Proverbs 12:1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Look at your neighbor and say, Don't be stupid. <laughs> Hebrews twelve, five, through six says, And have you forgotten the exhortation, the addresses as you as sons? Now remember this. You and I are sons and I daughters of the King remember your identity relearn your identity relearn correction my son do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord nor be weary when reproved by him for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives if you are not being corrected by the Lord there's something wrong you gotta relearn identity you gotta relearn correction and the third is this is you gotta relearn reliance Relearn reliance. See, if you want to be a leader in your home, you want to be a leader in your family, we cannot insist on replicating what we think we already know. We need to relearn what God wants us to do in each and every season. God doesn't want us to rely on our own understanding. He wants us to rely on his understanding. So how do you define success? Is it based on his definition of success or your definition of success? Do you know who your identity is found in? Have you been willing and, and, and relearning correction in your life? Are you actually at a place where you're relearning reliance on him? First Timothy four. Paul writes this six through ten. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be good, be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and of good doctrine that you have followed. What's he talking about? You're relearning. He says, having nothing to do with the irrelevant or irreverent, excuse me, silly myths, rather train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. And so then he says this, he says, for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people especially on those who we believe. So come on think about this. You and I have got to put our reliance not on our stuff, not on the success by the world. We need to put our reliance upon God. We need to be willing to come in and we need to be willing to relearn. Are you willing to relearn? Are you willing to even relearn maybe what you would define as success? The beauty is, is throughout the Word of God, and I challenge you to this this week, is look throughout the Word of God and look for the promises of God. In fact, just go onto your phone or go onto the internet and just type into Google promises of God scripture. And what you'll find is you'll find all these people who have grabbed the promises of God all throughout the scripture, and you can begin to look at those promises, and you can begin to allow them to train, to correct, to reprove, to begin to allow them to be spoken over your life. To begin to say, no, those promises are for me. My identity, I know who it is in Christ. I'm willing to bring about correction in my life, and I'm going to rely upon God to do it. This past week I had a privilege of hanging around a bunch of church planters and pastors in Cleveland, Ohio for a day. And as I was sitting there around those church planters, and just there's I began to recognize something again. One of the things I love so much about a church planter is this is their willingness to relearn. They are so hungry to learn. And in the midst of that hungriness, they're coming up with some of the most creative ways to reach people. And I sit there and I go, that's brilliant oh why did I think about that well was I putting myself in a place of relearning that isn't some new idea it's not like God's up in heaven going whoa that was a good one he already knew that good one he's just looking for people who are willing to relearn so the question comes down is are you willing to relearn are you willing to say you know what there's a hunger inside of me that is actually causing something to be created in me that says, you know what, I want to relearn. I want to relearn my identity in Christ. I want to relearn correction. I want to relearn reliance. Now listen, I know for some of you, you struggle with the first one because you're like, I don't have to relearn my identity. I already know who I am in Christ. But how many of you know that every time you have an encounter with Christ, he's showing you something more about who you are in him? And so if we remain teachable, and we say, God, continue to mold and shape that inside of me, I believe what will happen is, is you'll grow in your relationship with Christ. Do you know that as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, and it's not, in, and I didn't, I didn't prepare this, but, but you're supposed to grow fruit. People are supposed to look at your life and go, oh, that person right there is a believer. They're a follower of Jesus. Because there's fruit in your life, because you're growing. Things that don't grow, John 15 talks about things that don't grow, what happens? He says, listen, if it's not growing, it doesn't happen. I mean, in one moment, he actually curses that which doesn't grow and throws it out. In John 15, he says, you know, if you're in the vine and you're abiding the vine, then he's talking about fruit will be produced. But if not, if you don't, he says it'll be cut off and then thrown into the fire where it'll wither up and burn. You and I are to have lives that are actually producing fruit. So how do you produce fruit? You relearn your identity, you relearn correction, and you relearn reliance. And if we'll do that, we can be the fearless leaders that God's called us to be. And I believe what will happen is, is things will begin to change in our families, in our workplaces, in our church, in our community, as we say, you know what, we're gonna be people who are willing to relearn. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your word that you deposited inside of each and every one of us. Thank you for these letters, God, that you wrote to leaders. You wrote them to each and every one of us. God, thank you for inspiring Paul to write those words, to address various things that were going on inside of the church. But God, I pray that today, God, we would relearn our identity in you. God, that today we would go just a little bit deeper today we would begin to recognize that we are sons and daughters of the King. And I pray, God, right now for maybe those who are in this room today who haven't come to that realization that they are a son, they are a daughter of the King. It's not that you didn't plan for that to happen. It's not even that you don't desire for that to happen. But God, it simply boils down to a moment of us as sons and daughters receiving the free gift, salvation, freedom from sin, a changed heart, changed identity. God, as sinners, we're broken, we're messed up, and we find ourselves separated from you. And you saw that when sin entered the world, we began to sin our lives that created the separation between us and you, God. And yet you said, "No, that's not how I want it to be. I want you to have freedom." And so you sent your Son Jesus to die upon a cross so that we could have freedom. And God, I know that in this room today there are individuals across this room, God, people who are listening online right now, who are actually in a place right now where they remember the moment when they surrendered to you and said, "My identity needs to be found in Christ, not in other things." And in that moment of surrender, in that moment of saying, Jesus, come into my life, it was in that moment where you forgave them of their sin and you gave them a new identity as sons and daughters of the King. So Father, I pray right now for those who maybe are in this room, maybe those who are listening right now who haven't surrendered, who haven't come to that place of asking you to be Lord of their life. I pray that today would be a moment of complete and full surrender. I want us to all this morning, if you would just pray this prayer with me today. It's gonna be a prayer of basic surrender to the Lord. A moment of saying, God, I I desire for my identity to be matched up to who you say I am. God, I desire to put myself in a place of correction. I desire to put myself in a place of reliance upon you. And if that's you today, you'd say, you know what? Those three things, I wanna be willing to relearn those. I just want you just to repeat this prayer after me today. If you would say, Jesus, I need you. Would you help create in me a heart that would be willing to relearn? Help me to relearn my identity. Forgive me of my sin. Change my life. I don't wanna be the same. I wanna recognize that I'm a son, I'm a daughter the king. God, help me to relearn correction. Stir inside of me a heart that's hungry for correction. Help me to rely upon you. This week, as I face various trials, may I rely upon you. May you be my firm foundation. I love you. I'm surrendering my life. Help me to relearn. In Jesus' name, amen, 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 amen. God bless you guys.